Welcome to Dealcast, the weekly M&A podcast presented to you by Merger Market and SS&C Intralinks. I'm Juliana Needham, a business journalist who's been covering M&A for a decade. In this week's special podcast, we'll be discussing growth capital that continues to be the big story of 2022 after its resurgence in the latter part of 2021. I spoke to Alistair Watson, Head of Strategy Innovation for Private Equity, Stephanie Kempton, Investment Manager, and Harish Vazirani, Senior Investment Director, all from Aberdeen. So to start off with, let's look at an overview for growth capital in Europe. It was a big story in 2021. How has COVID-19 impacted the market and what are the key trends that you witness? And Haresh, we'll start with you on that one, please. Yeah, of course. I think I think the best way to answer it is, is with an analogy. So the way I would describe it is, imagine you're on a plane and you have an emergency landing on an island. Um, and the first day you start to panic, oh my God, I'm on this island. And the next year you realize you're on in Bahamas or Maldives or someplace. And it's like, oh, nice hotels, restaurants, beaches, and you start to enjoy the nice food and wine. Then you get some vouchers for nightclubs as well. And you're enjoying life. You think you can get used to that. And then you get used to it and you do a few parties. After a few hangovers, you start to get back to reality. And I think the the sort of crash landing was the first few weeks of COVID. Uh, everybody started to panic. Uh, the next phase was the splurge in late 2020 and 2021. Venture investors and venture companies were all feeling good about life. And the nightclub vouchers were, was your sort of easy fed money that, that fueled everything. Um, and now we are sort of in the hangover phase where, where things are starting to slow down. We, we still believe that these trends will continue you people still go for beach holidays. You, if you hadn't gone to Bahamas or Maldives, you really like that place, you'd probably go there again. Uh, you'd probably spend money and you'd enjoy life. But it was a very different period and we are now in a, in a different phase. But all, all that we saw in, in that phase, we think would continue, but at a different pace. Yeah, and we've seen lots of different things happening this year. So, Alistair, coming to you, how have these trends continued or changed in 2022 compared to last year? Yeah, I think the, from my perspective, the really interesting thing is that each each crisis we go through, you know, COVID nineteen, that Ukraine, you know, the current uh, inflationary pressures we have, actually, the disruptive trends we were backing, they continue to be very, very relevant, even more relevant in, in each crisis as, as we go by. So, you know, the supply chain challenges we're seeing today, the inflationary pressure, wage inflation, geopolitical challenges, those are all, you know, pushing us further down that that route. Um, so we think about some of the themes we, we've been investing behind, you know, software penetration, for example, in Europe, you know, that is going to be, that's still far behind the US, that's going to be a, you know, a huge driver and a huge push against wage inflation. So I think, you know, that that trend will continue. Um, sustainability um, and, and, you know, focus on supply chain, for example, knowing who your suppliers are, knowing you've got that, that you know, security of supply is, is super important in the, you know, in the next phase. Um, and then um, innovations around, you know, for example, food technology and you know, providing, you know, providing the appropriate food and energy, you know, these are, these are just very, very important trends that only accelerate and we, we seem to go through a crisis. I think the other thing we'd say is, that the you know last year you know there was probably a you know with hindsight we probably say that the value of, of capital or the value of funding 
didn't seem didn't seem that important. I think when we look to, to, to today, we'd say that businesses that are are well funded have a, have a huge advantage, and so the, the the sort of cost of capital or the value of having strong you know strong backers and strong capital is becoming very very powerful. So if you're a you know if you're a high growth disruptor with that's well capitalized, you can really take advantage against weaker competitors, making acquisitions, etc. Those are some of the key things we're seeing. Yeah, and, and nimbleness seems to be a, a key factor. Businesses have had so much to contend with the last couple of years with COVID. And it just, as it seemed, we were coming out of the pandemic, high inflation, a war in on the European continent, uh, and now rising inter- interest rates. And it feels like they've got to be able to react quickly to all of those things. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty boring to, to say, but actually we really go back to, to very core business fundamentals today. So really focusing on businesses that have strong pricing power, that have very strong customer relationships, that have very strong products that are really you know solving the problem for their clients. And th- those types of businesses tend to, to be able to cope with, you know, with, with inflation more powerfully. We, we invest both in asset light and, you know, and, and more asset you know, intensive businesses, but asset light businesses today are, you know, are really, really proving that nimbleness as well uh, and be able to, you know, to be agile in, in today's environment. Absolutely. And Harish and Stephanie, did you have anything to add on those trends that we're seeing in this year? Yeah, I think I think that's a good point that you made there, Juliana, about inflation, for example. And and if you look at the last 10 years, the role tech has played in actually bringing down inflation or actually having deflationary impact by increasing productivity has been massive. So you will go back to those core ways of controlling inflation as well, apart from just interest. So we think we think the trends that that we saw will continue in, in the sort of coming decade as well. Yeah, it also feels that that COVID was very much a reaction. You know, companies had to react quite quickly to deal with a pandemic that nobody really understood what it was or what was going to happen. It, it feels now that companies are thinking about how efficient they are on a more permanent basis. It seems the world is becoming much more uncertain for potentially a longer period of time. And so really making sure that you have your house in order seems to be really, really important at the moment. But equally, companies were quite well prepared for what has happened in 2022 because we already went through COVID and a period of of disruption then too. So it's fine. And I think going back two years, I mean, nobody was expecting the pandemic and, and that was like such a period of uncertainty. And everyone must have thought, oh, thank goodness, we've got through that period of uncertainty. And then this year has kind of blown that out of the water a bit. So there seems to be a lot of things, so many factors at play. And Alistair, coming back to you, how has this volatility that we're seeing in 2022 impacted the mentality of entrepreneurs and management teams who operate in growth businesses? I think it's a really good point. I think the best, you know, the best management teams we work with, they have... They're, they're very sort of purposeful, very ambitious, very long-term in the way they're thinking. So they're trying not to be too reactive. As, as we sort of said at the start, we think that the, the, the key trends we're backing still, you know, still hold and actually will continue to, you know, to, to, to hold even more in the, in the coming years. You know, what has changed, though, is, is the valuation environment. You know, the, as I said, the, the, cost of, the cost of funding or the difficulty of getting funding. So the, the key shift we're seeing is management teams Really trying to understand how they can how they can rationalize, really make sure they've got strong foundations, not spending too much, uh, because the the, um, the environment is probably going to get more uncertain before it gets before it gets less um, less uncertain. So it's really that view of how how can we get to a break even or you know profitability, and and how long can that take? Can we drive that 
more quickly than we were planning before. I think also the, as I said, you know, well-funded businesses can be a little bit more opportunistic in, in this environment. So we're seeing growth businesses actually starting to make more acquisitions than has maybe been the case in the past. So, so finding different ways to to accelerate to accelerate growth. But really, the most important is is the fact that is is trying to stick true to the ambition you have. Really trying to keep your plans going, but all, but trying to do that in a, in a more efficient basis because that really seems to be what what markets are, are valuing highly today. And do you have any examples of companies that you've seen change tack or or change strategy this year because of the that volatility? Probably, probably not companies that have have changed have changed tack, but but I think it's. You know, we've seen a lot of businesses, for example, in in sustainable sustainable model or, or ESG models, who who actually that's becoming even more relevant. So they're they're probably pushing the, the publicity around around sustainability even more because you know that that's what customers and, and you know the next generation want to see. So it's probably more is making certain trends even more acute in today's market uh, rather than seeing people sort of fundamentally change. Which leads perfectly onto our next question, and uh, coming to you for this one, Stephanie. How have investors and companies' approaches to ESG and sustainability changed as a result of both the pandemic and the current macroeconomic uncertainty? Yeah, so we haven't really seen much change. We've definitely seen the focus increase, I would say. For the most part, when we've interacted with these growth companies or, or growth company CEOs, we find them quite focused on ESG, and that's definitely something we've always been very keen to incorporate into their into their businesses. And also when they think about the type of capital they're taking, the investor they want back in them, how socially responsible that investor is and what they can do to add value from an ESG perspective has always been quite important to them as well. I think the increasing regulation that we see from Europe and the UK is only going to add to the sort of fact that people need to focus on this as they go forward. So we definitely see ESG to continue to have more of a focus for companies, but equally for underlying investors. So it's it's important for us as an investor and it's important for the investors that, that work with us as well. Um, sustainability is is somewhat similar, but also different. And it, it kind of depends on the type of company you're backing. So as Al mentioned in our portfolio, we have some asset light businesses, we have industrial businesses, but those asset light companies are still very keen to ensure that they're doing the right thing when it comes to ESG. So even though they may not be, you know, polluting the environment as such, they are still thinking about carbon emissions within their own offices, et cetera. So it continues to be, again, a focus at boards and more generally within our team as well. And then we actually um, sort of have focused on this topic a bit more recently and in terms of our investment thesis and recently backed business called Dot, which is an e-bike, e-scooter business. Um, we backed a pretty strong team there with a focus on trying to change the way that, that we um, commute around our cities. So the focus for DOT is to reduce congestion, noise pollution, as well as carbon emissions in, in cities in which it operates. And since we've invested, they've made quite a few um, good moves in, in the sustainability space, including reducing um, the amount of sort of, well, increasing the use of reusable or swappable batteries that they use, trying to increase the number of underrepresented people within their teams. And they seem to be really focused on this going forward. So Great, thank you. And um, Harash and Alistair, I'd be interested in, in hearing your thoughts on this as well. But I am wondering if the, there's been a bit of a change in tone towards sustainability and ESG following the the start of the war in Ukraine, because the energy energy supplies have suddenly become a, a huge 
issue for just about every country. And we're hearing of more oil and gas work going on. And do you think that governments are, are kind of having to change their approach to net zero? There has been some talk in the UK about uh, abandoning net zero. I think I can I can comment on uh, on the easier stuff, which is ESG in the companies, and I can leave Al on on the political matters. I think I think on on the company side of things, we've met, we've met a lot of companies in in the space generally, be it particularly focused on ESG or just a, an, an all of a company like, like Dot, for example, is is a mobility company, but they're so driven, and you speak to various companies and and employees at different levels within the organization and how driven they are is absolutely unbelievable in terms of trying to make the world a better place. And obviously they, they wouldn't say that, but you would see that they're very driven towards their aim. And that ESG aspect tends to be a very big driver for for people to join a certain company as well. And I think you can call it people are vote these days, but I think the reality is that it is a big driver. I think people are looking at working for organizations that that they think are actually making a difference. Um, so we think that is a that is a massive change from from how things were probably a couple of decades ago. Yeah, and I think we, given that employment levels are so high, um, companies are having to do quite a lot to attract talent and, and get really good people in the door. So that's obviously one of the selling points. And I think it's a bit of a generalisation, but kind of looking at the younger generations, they are choosing their businesses based on some of those factors that you mentioned. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. I think what's quite interesting, though, probably in the European market, is that a lot of the growth capital funding available is very targeted to certain sectors. You know, for example, software, there's been a huge amount of capital raised to, to invest in that in that segment. I think the the capital that is available today from for in, in private markets for sustainable businesses is probably is probably hasn't quite caught up with the, with the opportunity set that's there and the quality of entrepreneurs. So I think there is a an interesting opportunity that that kind of needs to be needs to be accelerated. You know, we are seeing impact funds being raised, but whether that that capital is sort of ready to to fund you know earlier stage or growth businesses is probably to be seen. Yeah, and I guess there's pretty good opportunities as a result of the energy inflation for the kind of sectors that you invest in the growth companies yeah i mean you you asked about you know how governments should should react and i think the energy the energy inflation and wage inflation this year are going to you know and probably coming into the next couple of years are going to be extremely challenging so you know i'm not particularly going to comment as to you know to what should or should or should not happen but it's just symptomatic of, of how important supply chains are in, in, in today's market. And also you know, some of the themes we mentioned around, around pricing power and pass-through of, of costs, et cetera. And you know, I think what we'd say on, on ESG is that you know, five years ago for companies and, and, and probably private equity investors, it was more of a sort of tick-the-box aspect, even if people didn't admit that. Today, people are really starting to understand that you know, the, these issues are, ex- are exceptionally important. That's not just environmental. It's, it's across you know, your supply chain, how businesses behave. And also how you you know how you treat your treat your employees. These are factors that are accelerating. Absolutely, thank you. And how long do you kind of expect these trends to continue, or, or will it just be a factor of how long the war in Ukraine continues and how high uh, interest rates go and, and inflation rises? And I think these are these trends are here to here to stay. I mean, I don't think. Certainly, anyone on this call would be would be suggesting as to when the Ukraine war is going to 
is going to end. So I think you know the is trying to find different solutions, trying to take you know a medium and long term view because because these these challenges are not going away. No, but I I wonder if it it will just get to the point where it becomes almost normality. Um, yeah. And we'll just get used to operating in that. So companies just get used to operating in that more challenging environment. I agree, totally. Coming back to you, Haresh, how has the uncertainty that we've been talking about impacted company fundraising? And what opportunities does that present for investors? Yeah, it's, it's I mean, as Alistair mentioned, it's, it's definitely gotten tougher. Uh, over the last few months to raise capital, we, we still don't see that there's a paucity of capital. It's just that people have sort of taken a step back to see what's happening in the market and and they're taking their time to, to assess that before they come back to the market. I think the way we look at it is if you're trying to get some gold during a gold rush, you're probably not going to be very lucky with it. Um, but if you're at a point where you find a gold mine, there are a few people around you, you do your work. You, I mean, you still need to mine gold. You probably find it. Um, you do, do your work. You do your diligence, and you'd come back with some gold. I think today's period is is somewhat of that sense. I'm not saying invest in gold, by the way, but the ability to find good companies or good investments is probably higher at a time when things are going tough. And good companies survive. Good models, business models survive. One of the trends, for example, that we see getting stronger in the VCN growth space is, is, for example, secondary continuation funds. We've seen a lot of that activity on, on GP-led deals or continuation funds on the buyout side, but we think a lot more can be done on the venture and growth sides. And you can see public markets are closed for, for growth companies or, or thereabouts, and opportunistic investors in, in growth markets have also gone out. So VC investors might find it harder to get exits done in this time. And we think secondary opportunities or continuation funds could be a pretty interesting one to, to provide liquidity to existing investors, but also continue to hold on to the assets. So, so the opportunities like these would make it very, very interesting time to be investing uh, in the market today. And is that a big opportunity with the public markets being closed? The IPO route is a less, well, I guess at the moment into July, a pretty much impossible option right now, but does that pre- present other opportunities? Yeah, definitely so. And I think if you were to speak to bankers last year, they probably wouldn't take a new company public because the the backlog was probably about six to 12 months. And I think today people are struggling to to find companies that they think would get a lot of sort of capital in the public market. So I think it's a very different environment altogether for growth companies which does present a lot of opportunities on on the other, for example, the secondary side of things. We know a few companies that are uh, wiping their head and, you know, saying, I'm so glad I didn't, I didn't go public, you know, six, six months ago, because it's just creating, you know, clear challenges for, for those, those management teams. So, yeah, we, we think, as we said, strong management teams who have a kind of long-term view, you know, why wouldn't they want to remain private for longer, you know, given the volatility we've seen in the, in the public market. I think the other point I was going to make is that venture debt and, and, and growth debt, um, you know, asset, asset back debt, I think these are, these are becoming trends we're, we're seeing a lot more. Um, so finding different ways of raising capital rather than, than equity funding in a, in a challenge valuation uh, environment. And do you think there'll be any kind of new types of debt or structures of debt emerging? I, th- I think it's, it's just people starting to look at the options and then those becoming more, just more normal options to, to use. Um, certainly in Europe, you know, they're relatively limited in recent years just because 
equity funding was it was relatively available. Great. And just um, linking the that last question about fundraising to the previous one about ESG, how important is the kind of ESG due diligence for investors? I, I think it's becoming it's something pretty much every credible investor is doing on the way in, is doing detailed diligence. And even if you look back, so 12 months, back 24 months, um, companies and, and management teams are ready for those questions. You know, that it's not really credible today to say, well, I have no idea what my carbon footprint is. It's going to take me you know, three years to provide that to you. And I think there's, as I say, it's, it's environmental, but also thinking about gender diversity is, is you know, in, in, in growth, venture and growth companies have the biggest opportunity because they're, they're hiring from scratch. So they, these you know, strong management teams should be building diverse teams from the outset. I think that's something we, we really like to see. I, th- I think if you were to open a data room for anything that we invested in these days and there wasn't, there wasn't a section on ESG, you would be quite concerned. And it's almost sort of a hallmark of good business these days. It's this company is well run. It's in, you know, the people in charge take this seriously. So it's, it's incredibly important. So for us, it's, it's almost a bit of a red flag if there's an, an empty box in the data room in marked ESG. So it's incredibly important. And do you think the companies that you invest in, the growth companies, have kind of stolen a march on their older, more established competitors? I definitely think that the companies that, well, by the, by the very definition of what some of these companies are trying to do, they're innovators, they're trying to change the way that older industries have previously operated. So, yes, they have. I think they have a lot on their plates and they're young, new companies. So you have to be patient and, and give them time. And as long as they show the willingness to act in the right way and behave in the right way and, and add value from the ES or the G side of ESG, it's, it's fine. And we've got a few minutes left. So I just wanted to finish off by asking you which trends we should be keeping an eye on in the growth space uh, for the rest of 2022 and into 2023. The one thing that I think will be quite interesting going forward, although it already is a bit of a trend, is cybersecurity. So the, you know, the Ukraine war has definitely highlighted that um, across governments, across companies. So I think that's a trend that we will continue to see companies evolve in, in Europe more generally. Great. Thank you. I mean, I think that's, that's really fascinating. We've seen some very significant nationally driven hacks. And uh, yeah, it's obviously an issue for, for most, just about any, every government and company. And uh, Haresh, coming to you. I think if I had to pick one sector, I would say food is pretty interesting. It's, you'd count it as a necessity probably. And People are looking at food in different ways, be it sort of, for example, cultured meats, uh, it's quite interesting, or artificial milk, for example. So you're seeing a lot of things happening in that space generally. Um, we also see a lot of software-related uh, products in, in that sort of food category. So I think that is, is probably one to watch out for. Um, that's going to change quite a bit in the coming years. Yeah, and some really interesting movements in the kind of alternative proteins alternative dairy space and yeah and obviously the war in ukraine has highlighted the dependence we have on wheat from ukraine alistair coming to you so we've spoken a lot about supply chains so i think software that enables businesses to more accurately track their supply chain i think is a, is a really interesting theme we're seeing a lot of companies coming through that, that can do that pretty well so you know, any anything that allows a company to better understand and, and better explain its supply chain would be, would be something I would 
supporting. Okay, so supply chain, food and cyber are the, uh, the three areas to watch. That was Alistair Watson, Head of Strategy Innovation for Private Equity, Stephanie Kempton, Investment Manager, and Harish Vazirani, Senior Investment Director, all from Aberdeen. Thanks for listening to this week's special episode of DealCast presented by Merger Market and SS&C Intralinks. Please rate, review and follow the podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or look out for your Merger Market News Alert. For more information, have a look at our show notes. Join us next week for another episode.